We want this evening to look at the first uh, book of Samuel, 1 Samuel in chapter 30. 1 Samuel in chapter 30. It's good to be back in the pulpit once again uh, after a couple of weeks missing from it. Uh, we're thankful once again to Crown College for supplying preachers. One of those, of course, was already um, booked up, so we were thankful for that. The Lord knows the timings of these things, uh, but then also at the last minute, uh, we're thankful that we'll be able to get preachers to come and to preach and to bring the word in this house. But it's good to be back and it's good to see you. And we trust the Lord's blessing will be upon us as we consider his word together. First Samuel in chapter 30. And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, and smitten Ziklag, and burned it with fire, and had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelites, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring hither the ephod. And Abiathar brought, brought thither the ephod to David. And David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. Amen. We'll leave the reading. Just there, we give thanks once again for the reading of God's holy and inspired word. Let's bow our heads again in prayer. Our Father, we commit ourselves to the guidance of the Spirit of God within our hearts at this time. We pray, Lord, that thou wilt take the words that are spoken, and that thou wilt apply them to our hearts. Lord, that we ourselves might learn from thee how important is the touchstone of Scripture which searches the heart and searches the soul. Lord, we are so easily carried about by <clears throat> the every wind of doctrine or of philosophy in these days. And there is much around us, many opinions, many thoughts, many ideas. Lord, much which would seek to form our minds into what others would have it to be. We thank the Lord that we have a touchstone to come to which remains always the same, which is always the counsel of the Lord. Father, we pray that as we come unto that touchstone tonight, that we might again be grounded, that we might be brought to a stop, that we might see all of the information, thoughts, the lusts of the world which swirl around us, and that we might see them for what they are, Lord, that they are but for a moment and for the most part bring destruction with them. Lord, that we might cleave unto the Lord our God and abide under the shadow of the Almighty. 
Be with us then, we ask thee, as we consider this short portion of scripture this evening. Lord, we pray that thou hast blessed these things to our thoughts and meditations. Lord, that thou hast blessed us also with memory of them, that through this week we might have those things upon our hearts and minds. Bless us then, we ask. Continue with us now. Give me the words that I should speak. Lord, speak to my heart and speak to the hearts of each one. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to think about these words. If you remember from a few weeks ago, uh, the Philistines were gathering themselves together to go up and to fight against Saul and against the armies of Israel at this time. And David, because he had befriended Achish and was dwelling in Ziklag, which was uh, one of the towns on the borders of the, where the Philistines were, uh, it was a place indeed which had been given to Israel, but the Philistines were in the land, and so it fell under the remit of Achish, and David was given that city or that town uh, for his own, and that his people might move into it, and so they had done. But David is there, we read of his two wives here now, Ahinoam, the Jezreelites, who is the first wife uh, which he took, and Abigail, which he added to her, and some have made the, the point in commenting uh, that here was an error on David's part, as the scripture tells us, uh, that we ought to have only one uh, partner throughout life, one husband, one wife, and uh, that perhaps these things which came upon him, uh, that the fact that these words are given here is to remind us that God does judge uh, for our errors. Uh, otherwise, why name these two in particular, uh, except to say that he had two wives at this time. And so uh, David has his people there, his 600 men. They have their wives. They have brought their wives and their families. We read that their wives have been taken. Uh, there they have taken the women captives, verse 2. And then also that the people were greatly distressed and every man for his sons and his daughters. So whole families were here in Ziklag. And they had gone because of David's um, friendship, which had become a, perhaps a one-sided friendship, more on the part of Achish than it was on David's side, I think. Uh, but nevertheless, there was a friendship, and Achish would have David to be his own guard and to go with them into battle. And David could do little else but to go with him. I don't know what was in David's mind. We thought about this last time, uh, whether David thought that once they got into battle, he would turn and, and fight on Saul's side, uh, whether he would try and keep out of the battle altogether, uh, whether he would just be faithful uh, to Achish and, and protect him if, it, if the battle came to him, but otherwise he would keep out of it. Who knows what, what his heart would be. But nevertheless, the men went with him, and because of David's uh, situation... And you, if you remember, just a, a few weeks back, we saw how that David had, well, forsaken, really, the counsel of the Lord once again. And he seems to do this an awful lot. And we, we might judge him for it, but we also do the same thing. I uh, hear people uh, time and again say, well, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that, and I prayed about it. And uh, my question then is, well, what did the Lord say? And very often the Lord said nothing at all. And, and what they're saying is simply they prayed about it, but they've had no light and, and nothing given to them as to what they should do. And they have just taken it upon themselves, therefore, to go the way. And in chapter 27 and verse 1, we noted this at the time, that David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. 
There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. And Saul shall despair of me to seek me any more in any coast of Israel. So shall I escape out of his hand. And David arose and he passed over with 600 men that were with him unto Achish, the son of Maok. And we've, we've looked at these things before, how then he moved to Ziklag and he went and fought against the Amalekites and others toward the south of the country, giving the impression to Achish that he was actually fighting against Israel. He was fighting against the southern portion of Israel. That was what Achish believed. David didn't put him right, but rather he went and fought against the enemies of Israel and he slew them all so that nobody could come back and say, well, this is what David is doing. And so now David is in this uh, situation where he is called upon to go with the Philistines, the enemies of God, uh, and the enemies of Israel to fight against Israel. Well, the Lord delivers him again. And we, we've noted before how the Lord has used the enemies of David uh, as David's deliverers. It's a tremendous thing to know that the Lord is with us. We read together that Psalm, Psalm 91, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in him will I trust. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler. And it is the Lord, again, who delivers David. Even though David is not seeking the Lord's face, even though he's not walking in the way that the Lord has told him to walk, yet it is the Lord who delivers him again. And he does so through the enemies of David, the Philistine lords who say, well, we don't want David with us because when we get into battle, he's going to turn and be on Saul's side to try and win favor back from Saul. And as he does that, he's going to be behind us and we don't want him behind us. And so it is them who send David away, just as it had been earlier uh, in the scriptures where Achish had been the one saying, I don't want this mad man with me. And he had sent him away. And, and David is delivered again. God's hand is upon him. And sometimes we, we can't see the hand of the Lord, the good hand of the Lord, as it delivers us from ourselves. And very often, uh, perhaps most of the time, the, our problem is ourselves. It is our own hearts, our own walk with the Lord, or lack thereof, which brings us into so much trouble. So that's the kind of background of, of here, and, uh, and it is because the Philistine lords have said, we don't want David with us, that Achish sadly in his own heart says, well, uh, you're going to have to leave them. In chapter 29 and verse 9 it says, And Achish answered and said to David, I know that thou art good in my sight, as an angel of God, notwithstanding the princes of the Philistines have said, he shall not go up with us to the battle. Wherefore now rise up early in the morning, with thy master's servants that are come with thee, and as soon as ye be early, be up early in the morning, and have light, depart. So David and his men rose up early to depart in the morning, to return into the land of the Philistines, and the Philistines went up to Jezreel. And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day. So David returns then from this problem which had, uh, had met him because of the path which he had chosen uh, and the way that he had gone, trying to make the best of a whole bad deal 
uh, trying to fight against the enemies of Israel without Akish knowing, playing one side against the other, being brought into this situation where he was going to be with the armies of the, of the Philistines against Israel, uh, trying to work out how he was going to change or, or what he was going to do with these 600 men who had committed themselves to David. They, they had left their own homes. They had left with their families. They had committed themselves to David as though David was their king, even though he wasn't the king of the whole nation. And we can see why, therefore, later on it says here in this portion of scripture that the people spake of stoning him because the soul of the people were grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. They had committed themselves to him. They had gone with him. So we see here in the beginning of this portion David's homecoming. He's going back to his home. Uh, his home now was in Ziklag. He is coming back uh, to these women who are his wives, perhaps one of them, uh, uh, a particular wife, the, the, the second. Perhaps he felt uh, that he ought to do something for her since her husband had been slain of the Lord. But he comes back to them and they are not there. They are not there. And as they come and they draw near to the town across the open country, which no doubt it was in those days, they could see the smoke of the smoldering embers of their homes. The dwellings are gone. That, that which they expected to see of their children, their boys and girls, as it were, playing in the streets thereof. There, there, there are no boys and girls there. There is no sound. There are no wives standing to welcome them back from the battle, for the women wouldn't have known how long they would be away. There was no one standing at the gate to say, the men are back so soon after just a, a number of days. There, there is nothing. And the buildings which they had, which uh, were uh, no doubt uh, thatched or of some kind of a wooden construction, at least in the roofs, if not in the, in the walls of them, uh, all is gone. All is gone. All is destruction. We read there again in Psalm 91, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. But there was a destruction. Everything was gone. And in David's homecoming, that which had turned uh, from a relief that he didn't have to go into the battle, that his enemies had cast him aside and sent him away, that he didn't have to try and work out what he would do or how get he, to get his men on side and to work with him when the time came. Now it comes to this, that everything that he had known, all of his home comforts, all of that which he had sought to protect, as he said, uh, that I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. And he goes and he passes over with 600 of his men and with those wives who are also mentioned in chapter 27 and verse 3, Ahinoam the Jezreelites and Abigail the Carmelites, Nabal's wife. Then he comes back and they are gone. And it's his responsibility. And as they come, there is this witness to what they see before them. And it dawns upon them that they have been raided. For while the 600 men who might have protected their families had been away on this fool's errand with Akish, wondering what they would do when they got into battle with the children of Israel and with Saul, that while they had been away on this errand with David as their captain and as their leader, they had lost everything which they had left behind. 
You know, we often uh, miss out, and I've mentioned this in communion service this morning, we often miss out on the unnamed masses who are involved with the heroes of the Bible. There are names, of course, which we know in the scripture, David being one of the most famous of all, uh, Moses and uh, others who are, are mentioned in particular, the judges which, whose names, some of which no doubt we would know. And yet there are all of these 600 men. We don't know any of their names. We don't know where they're from. We don't know anything about them. We don't know who their wives were or who their children were, whether they had wives or children. Uh, Lord, uh, and there are so many who are, um, uh, who are slain in battle and we have no consideration of them. It's something to encourage our hearts with in some way. That with the Lord's people, there are always those who are just, as it were, the ordinary people of God. People who come into the house of God. People who come to hear the word. People who live their lives in, in some measure of obscurity. And who are never known, but the Lord knows them. And here they have stood with the Lord's man. They have supported him and they have been with him. And now as they come back, uh, what a shock must have gone through them as their eyes were filled with a horror before them. All was gone. All is silent. Their witness is that David is responsible for losing everything that they have. Their homes are gone. Their possessions are gone. Their wives are gone. Their children are gone. Everything has been taken from them. And so we see then uh, they begin to weep. In verse 4, and David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. This was a, a lamentation indeed. Uh, this was a, the shaking of the soul uh, before God, wondering what on earth has, has happened here, that, that they come to exhaustion. And there is a, an exhaustion sometimes, isn't there, in, in sorrow and in weeping. It comes to the point where we can weep no more. There are some we know who uh, find it hard to weep uh, and often they suffer in different ways, uh, having lost a, a loved one, perhaps a, a husband or a wife or, uh, or parents or, or, or worse of all, maybe uh, children. And that is who are lost here. And they weep until there is no more power, until they haven't the energy to weep anymore, until that weeping begins to, to turn around from a sorrow and a, and a lamentation for losing so much, or losing everything, and it begins to turn to blame, and it begins to turn to wrath. David's homecoming then, it was a relief to get away from the battle, but the responsibility of that which lay before them as he returns rests upon him. The wrath of people turn to him. And David was greatly distressed, verse 6, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. They blame David. They blame David. And this is a human condition, isn't it, to always blame someone else. Uh, there, there must be someone to blame. Of course, uh, none of these men had been forced into David's company, uh, none of them had been forced to go with him. None of them had been forced to leave their own country. Uh, we read earlier in the scripture that the, here were people who were debtors. Here were people who had nothing in the country, those who were unhappy with the land as it was, who had decided to leave their own 
possessions and things and to fall onto David's side. They had chosen this of themselves. It was as much themselves to blame as any other. And yet we love to blame someone else. And sometimes the important thing is to search our own hearts and to see where the blame lies. That there is no one who forces us to do these things. That there is nothing there to make us do things. It's interesting what James says in James 1. That we are, uh, that we are tempted when we are drawn away of our own lusts and enticed. It is our own lusts. It is our own desires for things. Uh, we always think of temptation as something which comes. I saw in the paper just the other day that uh, someone wants to, um, wants to sue McDonald's because she had seen an advert for a, uh, a Big Mac or something and it had forced her to break her, her uh, Lent fast. It forced her to break her fast for Lent. And so she blames McDonald's for putting up an advert of a Big Mac. But we could take that quite easily and we can say, is that not a part of all of us? That we think that the temptation is the issue, that it's because something has been set before our eyes that we could not resist. That that's the issue. But James says, no, that's not the issue. The issue is your heart. The issue is the sin which lieth within you. These are just circumstances of life. These are things which face everyone because they don't tempt everyone. It shows that the problem is with the person who is tempted rather than with what we term the temptation. And these men, though ordinary men, though people not set before us as, as paragons of virtue, they needed to search their own hearts. It says here the people spake of stoning him. So uh, we would take from that perhaps that not everybody was of the same thought or of the same mind. But there was this murmur going amongst them. Just as there had been murmur in the days of Moses. With a mixed multitude complaining. Wanting to go back to, the, the, uh, to, back to Egypt where they had had uh, food enough. Uh, even though they were in slavery there, uh, the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. Now, they were not tied to do his bidding. They had chosen to follow him. And we need, and all of these things, to search our own hearts. And that's what I want to do now as we continue to think about David. What, uh, that, this is what David does. Uh, and perhaps uh, we might recognize this is why in lots of ways, David's heart is opened up to us. <clears throat> of course, it's opened up to us here in this uh, episode of his life, but also throughout the Psalms. And we've looked at one of those Psalms in Psalm 91, but so many of the Psalms uh, we could take and we could fit into this situation. And we could say, well, that could have been written then, or it could have been written about this time anyway in David's life. And so as we examine what David does, first of all, surely as we look at David's heart, we see concerning his folly, his review, his review, that he searches his own heart. Well, we see here that he, with the people, lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And we see here in verse 6, and David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him. But what we also see concerning David is at the end of verse 6, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. 
He encouraged himself, or as the margin has, he strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Now, how does he strengthen himself? How does he strengthen himself in God? Well, uh, we, can, we have to say, I think, uh, that there's little uh, uh, else way of explaining this except that David has brought his problems and his troubles into the presence of the Lord and he is now examining his heart before God. Uh, the only way we can strengthen ourselves in the Lord is to accept the Lord's strength. The only way we can accept the Lord's strength is to admit our own weakness and our own folly. And David, I believe, comes before the Lord and brings these things to him. There is a, a review then of all of his ways. Perhaps now he looks back and says, well, perhaps I, I shouldn't have, have left in such a way. How the Lord had blessed me in so many ways. Uh, remember in that 26th chapter just before when David says I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul he had walked through all of the armies of Saul right into the center of the camp right through the elite guard who uh, were sleeping around Saul and taken the king's spear from from the head of his bed and he had gone back and the Lord had delivered him and yet immediately after that he says I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul it's strange, isn't it? How that we can be so, so blessed of God one moment and then the next uh, we feel that God is not with us and that there is no hope for us but to take things into our own hands, to do things our way. God has not done what we wanted him to do. Uh, God uh, seems to be far, far off from us, even though we have seen so much of his blessing. And so David reviews the, the folly of his ways. And then we reckon that there must be here a repentance in order for him to come back to the Lord and we see that he does in verse 7 and David said to Abiathar the priest Ahimelech's son I pray thee bring me hither the ephod and in verse 8 and David inquired at the Lord now there is a change of mind then a change of heart and uh, the change of mind is that very word in Greek which means repentance or is translated for us in English repentance so he repents of his way he has a change of heart. He has seen the way that his own mind and his own thinking has taken him. He has seen that he had been drawn away after Akish into a very perilous situation where he might have been found fighting against his own people, uh, where he might have been found unfaithful to a man who put his whole trust in him. Uh, and David was trustworthy, wasn't he? he? He had never set a foot wrong against Saul. And, and that was a part of his makeup, that he was a man who was faithful. And he would have had to break that good faith of Akish. Akish being the enemy, nevertheless, but still someone who trusted him. And he has seen all of these ways and how it has led to this, that the people have been carried away. He wasn't able to protect them. And perhaps he sees in his own mind that he's not able to protect himself either. Now, there is nothing that he can do. Did he find a way of breaking away from Akish and going back to Ziklag? Or was it forced upon him by the very captains of the enemy? The Lord had been with him. So there is a repentance. And we need that repentance. We need that change of heart that we return to the Lord and seek him and call upon him so that the Lord will deliver us. So the Lord will show us the path to bring us back to a path of righteousness. And that's what David needs here. The Lord can deal 
with all the situations which are around us. The law can deal with those situations and we cannot. We try to do so. We have all kinds of plans. We lay out our best plans, but they bring forth nothing but trouble and worsening situations. David repents and returns. He returns to the Lord and he says once again to Abiathar, bring me hither the ephod. He has done that before and the Lord had been with him when he had said so and the Lord had given him guidance and directed him, protected him, warned him and delivered him and now he comes back to the Lord again. But what can we say then about David's heart except that this, that there is a foundation in David's heart. There is a foundation of trust in the Lord. David knew the Lord. We know that the scripture tells us that David uh, was a man after God's own heart, that God had called him, chosen him, and that he was a better man than Saul. Now, these are the words that the Lord had used. And David knew the Lord. And for all the fact that he had forsaken the Lord and he had gone his own way and he had got himself into all kinds of problems and trouble, as each time he did that same thing, that same thing happened. Now, because there is this true and real salvation, a true and a real faith, a real belief in God, a real connection to God through the salvation, which unbeknownst perhaps to David is through Jesus Christ, he comes back to the Lord. His foundation is there. As someone has said, as the leaves of glory fall from the trees in autumn and the sap retreats for the winter into the roots, so they who are planted by the rivers of water find their strength to flourish again in the Lord. And so in the autumn, it, it is that all of the, the outward righteousness and, uh, and all of that which had been perhaps even secretly admired in those who are around us, that we had been faithful to the Lord, that we had, we had uh, pressed on in all kinds of circumstances, trust in the Lord, calling upon the Lord, walking with the Lord, and all of that seems to have gone in the autumn. And coming into the winter, uh, the leaves have fallen, the glory is gone. We are, we are no better than the world, and no better than what we had been before. Yet if we have the root of the matter, then as the deciduous tree when the spring comes, begins to bring forth new leaves, that that glory might return. And of course it does so in David's life. In fact, things are about to change. David uh, very soon will become the king of the whole nation and not just these 600 who had joined to him. But do we have that foundation? Do you have that foundation? Are you the Lord's? Are you the Lord's? Are you trusting in Christ? Because that never leaves us, even when we have sinned, even when we have departed from him, even when we have fallen into error. If we are the Lord's, then we will return. Because that is in us. Because the Lord is a part of us. Because he dwells in us. And we may have grieved the Holy Spirit of God, but he doesn't depart. Remember how David's uh, fear in uh, Psalm 51 was, uh, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. The Lord doesn't take his spirit from his people. And so the spirit is there. We need to return to him. And we will find him. We will find that strength to return to the Lord. So we see in David's heart then, first of all, in his folly, his review and his repentance, his return to the Lord because of a foundation which is there, a foundation of redemption, of faith. And in his faith, what is it that he finds? 
well, we could choose, I suppose, all of the attributes of God. And uh, we could work through all of the attributes of God. Well, we don't have time uh, in a service such as this to do that. But just a few things here we might mention. Uh, where it says then, at the end of verse 6, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. First of all, we could say that David encourages himself in the Lord's mercy. In the Lord's mercy. Psalm 25, verse 15, we read, Mine eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. Turn thee unto me and have mercy upon me, for I am desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Oh, bring thou me out of my distresses. Here is the prayer of the psalmist. I've said before that there are many psalms which could be applied to this situation. David was quite often in such a situation as this. Uh, there were often times of extremity in David's life. But here he trusts in God's mercy. He strengthens himself. He encourages himself in the Lord his God. He is looking now unto the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the God of Israel. He has taken his eyes off the situation, which seems to be hopeless, and he has set his eyes back on the Lord who is able to do exceeding abundant, abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. And he is trusting in the mercy of God. We are to come boldly to the throne of grace there to obtain mercy and grace to help in time of need. Mercy. God is merciful. And here he calls upon the Lord that he might have mercy. Lord, be with me. He strengthens himself in the Lord. He encourages himself in the Lord. That we must con consistently and continually remember. Take your eyes off yourself and the situation and turn to the Lord. Look to the Lord. That's why it's important in, in the preaching of the word. Not just to have advice. Not just to have exhortations to do this or to do that. And encouragements of what we should do in the world. But actually look at the attributes of God and who God is, that when we look to him, we might know something about him that we can take hold of and the fact that God is merciful and he does not desire our destruction surely must come first to our minds when we have walked in an erroneous way to trust in the Lord and say, God is merciful, I will return unto him. Jesus takes this same thought, doesn't he, with the prodigal son who has gone and wasted all. He is in prodigality taken all of the inheritance which had been given to him, all of the blessing which was in his hand, and he had lost the whole lot. And in the end he says, I will return unto my father. I will be a servant to my father. And he returns and he finds that his father is much more than just simply merciful. And so David here returns to the Lord there to find mercy. And then secondly, in, in God's grace and grace to help in time of need. Uh, the psalmist again, Psalm 111 and verse 4. We have such a, a, a plethora of, of, of material to work with, of course, in David's life. Because so much has been written in the Psalms by his own hand. In Psalms 111 and verse 4. He hath made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion the lord is gracious and full of compassion 
Again, Psalm 145 and verse 8, it comes in a similar way. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. And the psalmist knows this. And that foundation which is in within his heart, which first caused him to come and trust in the Lord, even while he was out there upon the hillside with the sheep, as he sang praises to the king of heaven. So now that comes back to him and he encourages himself in the Lord. Can I return unto God? Can the Lord deliver me even yet from these problems which have come upon me? I am greatly distressed. Lord, deliver me. Bring me out of my distresses because thou art merciful, because thou art gracious. And David also in his faith knows that God is good. In Psalm 52, in verse 1, Why boastest thou thyself in mischief, O mighty man? The goodness of God endureth continually. The goodness of God. Do we know that God is good? You see, so often the problem is we don't return to God because we fear the judgment of God upon us. But we should know that the God is good, that God is merciful, that God is gracious, and that he will not chide forever. What is needed is our own repentance. What is needed is our own review of our folly and to return to him and to cast ourselves at his feet. And we will find him much more than we perhaps recognize. And David knows this also. Oh, the goodness of God endureth continually. In Romans 2 and verse 4, the apostle Paul says, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? Do you despise that? Do you not, not, despise doesn't mean to hate. It means to, to set, set aside as being unworthy. And so here, do we, do we consider the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering something unworthy? Do you not realize that the goodness of God is drawing you even now and saying, come back, return unto me, return unto me. And all that has gone on and all that has transpired in your life can yet be changed, can yet be turned back. And that which is lost, restored. God is able to restore. And we remember here in this portion as David inquires of the Lord in verse 8, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. Recover all. What wonderful words are uttered to David here. Oh, that the Lord would so work in our hearts in times when we have taken steps in error. And there are many times. And there are none of us who can say we've never taken a wrong step in our lives. We have never walked out of the purposes of God. We have never been so willful as to take our own paths rather than the Lord's. We, we, are, we are wanderers. We are sinners. We fail continually. Even the Apostle Paul, who so often we look up to, says, when I would do good, I find evil is present with me. And that what I would do, I don't do. And that which I don't think that I ought to do, I do them. We are so easily distracted, so easily taken in. Taken in by that which is going on around us. Fears, as it was in David's case. And problems and troubles which cause us to uh, cease to trust in the Lord. Perhaps for a short time. But the Lord will draw us back. 
2 Thessalonians 1.11 we read, Wherefore also we pray always for you, that our God would count you worthy of this calling, and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness, and the work of faith with power. And so we need to pray one for another. There are none of us who are immune to this situation. There are none of us who can say, no, I will walk with the Lord. The people said that to Joshua, didn't they, in in, uh, Joshua 24. They said that all that the Lord has said we will do. And Joshua said to them, you can't do it. You can't do it. You'll fail and God will turn again and he will judge you. Oh, no, 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 we will do it. But they didn't. We need to know that we are wayward children. No, we do fail. And we need to have that constant return and trusting in the Lord. David had gone some path away from that. I don't know how long this had been, but it seems that it was at least six months, perhaps longer, perhaps a year or more, that David had said that I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul and gone with his 600 men to Achish and then from uh, from dwelling with Achish, going to Ziklag and taking that town, going out marauding with the band, taking and bringing back to Achish the spoils of, of that marauding and slaying the people that he had taken those things from. How long had it been? I don't know. But eventually he begins to search his heart and he realizes that all that he has lost, well, it can only be brought back by the Lord. And can the Lord do that? And we can also see here, just in a final thought, that David comes in, in a great humility before the Lord. And he inquires at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? Shall I pursue? That is to say, it could be that this is the judgment of God and that these things are all lost. But I come before thee, O Lord, and I come in humility and I ask thee the question, should I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he casts himself upon the mercy of God and upon the grace of God and upon the goodness of God. And the Lord says, pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them and without fail recover all would we have that recovery of all that we have lost then trust in the lord come before him in humility and bow ourselves in his presence let's pray our father we give thanks for this account of the life of david lord those things which are recorded of that life no doubt there were many things which could be written in the scripture even as he went out with those 600 to maraud the south of the country. No doubt there were many episodes which could have been recorded, many things that were done that we might look into. But Lord, thou hast not been pleased to record all things, just some, those things for a purpose, that they might be there to search our hearts, that the scripture might be there to bring us to an understanding of the truth, and to an understanding of ourselves, to an understanding of the Lord and of thy goodness. Lord, we pray that thou was in thy mercy grant us repentance, that we might turn from our folly to walk with the Lord in closeness and in blessedness. Touch us then, we ask thee, 
minister to us by thy word. We ask you for Jesus' sake.